the mind behind master-slave lifestyle. What makes a good master or a bad master? And what is the difference between a noble or a vile slave? And do you know the difference? Discover your warrior, magician, lover, and king. Journey into the light and shadow of master-slave relationships and how this can allow you to go deeper than you ever thought you could. A new series of episodes released every month between the interviews. What's your shadow? What's your ball to the dark side? Master-slave relationships are intense. A master-slave relationship can be one of the most intense relationships you ever experience. It can lead to pleasures and experiences that are so amazing they defy description. And it can also lead to dark places that are horrific. Why is this? The master-slave relationship is one that connects to a primal energy. This is what leads to the intensity. And these primal energies are inside us all. And when we connect with a master or a slave, these primal energies start to interact with each other. And this is what leads to this incredible and amazing intensity that most of us long for. We can go into this primal energy and explain it more. And the way that we're going to do this is through archetypes that are common to all of humanity and to masses and slaves. These archetypes are based on Jungian psychology. And over the series of this podcast episodes, I'm going to cover four archetypes. Warrior, Magician, Lover, and King. I will cover how these relate for both masters and slaves. We will discover what is good and what we should aim for as a good master or a good slave. And I will also talk about what is bad and what we should look out for in our shadow. And through this, you can discover where you are yourself and how you can improve. In this episode, we will cover what we mean by the warrior archetype. We'll go over what are some of the attributes of a good warrior and what does master as a warrior need? What are the attributes that he is good for? And then we shall explore the shadow side of the warrior and what this means for a master. And then we'll look at some actions you can take to improve yourself. The warrior is also known as the action taker. It's the part of yourself that allows you to move forward with purpose and mission in life. It allows yourself to have that power and agency in the world and to be able to take effective action. The word warrior can provide many impressions, both positive and negative. Warriors are the people who go to war, kill and they rape and maim people. In societies, we have used warriors to idealize conflict and to show masculinity's more toxic side. But when I speak about the archetypal warrior here, I mean a person of integrity, a person who will give themselves up to a higher cause, their purpose, and will train to become the best they can be. Warriors appear in many of our stories, Russell Crowe playing Maximus in the movie Gladiator or Jedi Knight in Star Wars are some examples of the warrior archetype. Master as a warrior can be broken down into several areas. The first one is boundaries. Boundaries can be physical, 
emotional and psychological. They provide a safe place for you to inhabit yourself and in a master's case, what they own. A good warrior has a territorial instinct allowing them to claim and defend territory. For a master, this includes the slaves he owns or a leather family or pack. When those boundaries are crossed, you feel angry. And this is one of the fundamental emotions of the warrior. When we talk about boundaries, we can imagine they are fixed rules for treating others and protecting ourselves. Whereas in reality, boundaries are flexible and changeable. What we might hold to be true in one situation might be dealt with differently in another. For example, how much you support or do not support a slave could change depending on the situation. We must be very careful in the master-slave community around boundaries in general. According to mainstream society, we have already chosen a lifestyle that can be seen as taboo or crossing the boundary of what is acceptable. And because we have broken these boundaries, we might want to think there are no boundaries for us in any area of our life. But of course, there will be boundaries of what is acceptable and what is not. Consent is an example of this. Consent is one of the core parts of BDSM and master-slave, meaning what we do is ethically and morally right. Mutually fulfilling each other's needs in a master-slave relationship is another boundary between what is ethical and proper and what is toxic. There are many master-slave relationships out there where either the master or the slave might have stopped fulfilling the needs of the other. These are often unhealthy relationships. In order to understand your boundaries, you must also clearly understand who you are. What are your values? What do you stand for and what are your beliefs? If you struggle to answer those questions, working and understanding on who you are is the first step to knowing your boundaries. And be alert when you feel anger. Is this a sign of a boundary being crossed? If so, make a note of it so you can start to build your knowledge of your boundaries. Another aspect of the master as a warrior is self-discipline and to lead with justice and wisdom. A master always makes decisions objectively from this point of justice and does not act out of anger. A good master always works to let go of his anger before acting on a slave in training or in punishment. So although you can feel the anger that you might know a boundary has been crossed, and that anger can lead you to act and make decisions, you should not act in the heat of that anger. Here is a story to explain this a bit more. There was a Seramai who vowed vengeance on a killer who had killed his master. After many years, he found the killer and he was about to enact vengeance by killing him. But just as he went to make the killing blow, the person spat in his face. The Seramai stopped and rather than killing him, let him go. Why did he do this? Because he felt rage at this moment, having his face spat on. And rather than acting from his warrior's self-discipline, he would have killed this person out of anger. And this is true for master self-discipline as well. A master does not act out of anger, but with justice and wisdom to get the best possible from the slave. Another aspect of master as a warrior is the protector. A master protects those who serve him. 
Many true slaves have a wonderful childlike innocence about them. It is a pure, beautiful energy from a being that wants to please and serve. But the unpleasant fact is that we live in a world where many people see this energy and want to abuse it or take advantage of it. Therefore, a master, to allow his slave to really embrace his submission, must also protect the slave against some of these people who want to take advantage of it. So a good master protects. The Mandalorian is an excellent example of the protector archetype, with the main character looking after and protecting baby Yoda. Another example is the recent series The Last of Us, where the hardened survivor of an apocalypse reluctantly protects a young 14-year-old girl on a journey. Pedro Pascal, who plays the Mandalorian and the hardened survivor in The Last of Us, has come to embody the protector archetype. And you'll notice in the examples I've given you, it's often a strong, masculine man protecting someone much smaller and weaker than themselves. Another aspect of Master as a warrior is that he understands the limits of his power. A good master must always understand his limits and constraints. In many myths and tales, we talk of heroes who refused to understand their limits and ended up in tragedy. In fact, in Jungian psychology, the hero is the immature version of the warrior. And we might all have a hero within us, but to fully mature, we must move into the warrior energy. And the warrior energy is understanding the limits of our power. The story of Icarus is a good example of this. Icarus and his son are trapped in a labyrinth and need to escape. Icarus fashions rings for his son and himself so they can fly and escape. He warns his son not to fly too close to the sun. But when they do escape, the son is so taken with the power of flying that he ignores his father's warning and flies up close to the sun. The sun's heat melts the rats in the rings and the rings break, causing Icarus's son to plummet into the sea and die. The story is a warning of what happens if you do not understand the limits of your power and believe yourself to be all-powerful and invincible. It's easy when you have an adoring slave staring at you to believe you're invincible. As a good master, you must remain honest with yourself about your limits and work within the limits of your power. By embracing the limits, you can strategize and use the correct tactics to move forward and succeed, be that in your life in general or in training a slave. Such a skill is essential when training slaves. A clear understanding of the limits and constraints of both the master and slave allows the master to use the most effective tactics and approaches to train a slave. We've just covered all of the attributes of master as a warrior and we're now going to cover the shadow of the warrior and the attributes of the shadow master as a warrior. One of the leading shadow states of the warrior can be thought or feeling that you have no right to exist, that you have no identity. This might seem more of a slave state but it can heavily impact masters as well. No right to exist can come from our past. The shame of being gay when you were growing up in childhood. Shame of your fetishes. Shame of being a master or slave. Shame of wanting to control or own someone. 
This shame can impact you hugely and go into your shadow. For a master, a master might struggle with confidence and show up as deflated and lacking in that confidence. But often with masters, this will manifest in the opposite way. It will manifest as being overinflated or bigging yourself up. Let's go a bit deeper into this. When we talk about overinflated, a master might overcompensate for their shame and uncertainty and project this insecurity onto others. And they do this to make themselves feel better. Examples of such behavior are when masters make slaves feel insecure. For example, a dysfunctional master messages a slave to put them down as unworthy as they're not acting and behaving correctly, that this person does not deserve to be a slave. They should be shamed for even thinking that they should be a slave and asking this master for service. Correcting slaves for bad behavior is good, but when done to attack someone's identity and make them feel worthless or inadequate about themselves, that they should not exist or be a slave, this is when the behavior becomes unhealthy and toxic. The worst example that I personally encountered was one I experienced shortly after breaking up with my master in 2017. I was in a terrible place and I'd been very ill with tonsillitis and been out of the gym for two months. The repeatedly more aggressive courses of antibiotics the doctor was giving me was ripping the muscle out of me and I'd moved from a fantastic body to one that could be improved. I'd reached out to a master and he did not like the fact I'd put on weight and he decided to fat shame me on his Tumblr blog. You can imagine how I felt when I went to his website and found a picture of myself in an article about how slaves should not look. At the time, it destroyed the remaining confidence that I had. But what was interesting was that this master was also very overweight at the time as well. And what he was doing was taking his insecurity, his shadow of himself onto me. Other ways a master might be overinflated is in bigging oneself up. So behaviors masters can have when they're feeling deflated are to be argumentative and combative, to be inflexible, to stonewall, to not listen to other people's opinions, to even kind of flatten others around them. Because in doing so, by making themselves bigger, by pushing other people's boundaries and by generally being a pain in the ass, they can feel secure that they do exist and can prove that they are in fact a master. But these are also signs that someone is often feeling insecure. An example of this is for instance, starting a conversation with a slave, maybe online in person, but immediately taking an adversarial approach with the slave to try and make the slave defend themselves. You're trying to make the slave feel bad about themselves in some way, and the slave has to defend themselves. And by doing this, you can exert your dominance upon the slave. However, this is normally a very base way of exerting dominance. It doesn't help in understanding or communication and can often come from feeling insecure. So if as a master you find yourself doing this, you need to take steps to build your own self-confidence about who you are and then find more healthy techniques to exert your dominance onto people. The shadow aspect of master as a warrior 
can also lead to some very interesting particular cases for the master. But before we go into those, I want to talk about the contradiction. The master has this need to own and protect a slave, and this surprisingly can lead to the shadow state. Many masters have a territorial instinct to claim and own someone as a slave, to possess them. This is why we often use the word ownership when discussing master-slave relationships. A slave can often see this claim to kind of own and possess in how a master can stare at you. In this stare lies part of the tension and contradiction between the healthy and non-healthy master-slave relationships. At the height of an intense master-slave scene, when you see that stare, it can be the most erotic and fantastic thing to see as a slave. There's nothing wrong with this stare, it's a healthy part of the master-slave relationship. But that intent to own and possess can lead to unhealthy actions and behaviour, and that then leads to toxicity. So part of this is healthy, and part of it's not. How far you want to go into this sort of relationship, how far you want to possess and own, is very much dependent on the, the master-slave and the consent between the two. But what is certain is at a certain point you can fall off a cliff's edge into the shadow. So how does this ownership and possession come out as an unhealthy part of master as a warrior? The first one is master as a non-consensual predator. A master can start to persecute. You know, they, can't, they cannot take no for an answer and will keep coming after someone. And in some cases, this will turn into full-on persecution. The predator will do anything to keep or claim the slave. This is a master who cannot take no for an answer. They want the slave and they will do anything to get them. Or when they have the slave, they will not let the slave go. An example of this is a master-slave couple I heard about whose relationship was coming to an end. However, the master did not want the slave to leave, so he started to blackmail the slave by saying how he would tell the slave's family the truth about their master-slave relationship. When the slave still left, the master carried out his threat and destroyed the slave's relationship with his family. When a master cannot take no for an answer, this starts to become a topic of consent. So a master as a predator has turned into someone who ignores consent. The consent for a slave to say, no, I do not want you. No, I do not want to do that. Or no, I wish to leave. And rather than hearing that consent, rather than hearing that no, they will do anything to get what they want. And the further into the shadow a master goes, the more they will do that is toxic and unethical. The other aspect of master as a predator is in dehumanizing the slave and giving in to what's called the demon of cruelty. This is not to be confused with sadism. Many healthy master-slave relationships contain sadists and masochists who mutually fulfill each other's needs. When we fulfill each other's needs, even in strange and beautiful ways, all is healthy and good. 
But when a master starts to make a slave suffer just because they can, when a master starts to ignore the slave's needs, when the joy starts to leave the relationship, the master has given in to the demon of cruelty. A popular phrase in master-slave uh, vernacular is that a slave has no needs. This is not true. A slave does has needs. These can be base needs such as health, structure, control, and humiliation. Though in most other master-slave relationships, there are also other needs as well. But a master-slave relationship can exist when none of these base things are given to a slave. And this is when the relationship turns toxic. A good master-slave relationship makes sure that the mutual needs of each other are taken into account. In a relationship that does want dehumanization, a healthy version of this is where the master still remembers that the slave is human and does have other needs. A very simple example of this is the need to vent after a bad day at work, or the need for care or love or a hug, as well as all of the other depraved needs that might come in that relationship. But when a master ignores all needs of a slave, they are then heading into shadow. A good sign of a healthy master-slave relationship is how much joy there is. If both sides are fulfilling each other's needs, there should be a lot of joy in the relationship. I'm not saying all of the time, you know, I'm not talking about some sort of Hollywood Disney master-slave relationship here. You know, that's not possible. But a good relationship should have joy most of the time. Suppose the relationship has no joy. If the slave finds themselves never enjoying serving the master, something has gone wrong here. And it might be that the master has given into the shadow. As someone who does enjoy the dehumanization aspects of slavery, this is something that I need to be very careful of personally myself. Linking into this persecutor and this dehumanization comes the idea of knowing your beast. When coaching clients, I talk to masters about befriending your beast. We all have a beast inside us, the monster inside that wants to do whatever it can, whatever it wants to a slave, regardless of consent, regardless of ethics and regardless of morality. Many masters can be fearful or anxious about their beast because of this. And then there were other masters that let the beast rule them. And these are often the dangerous people on the scene. Repressing something will fight us and it will often emerge when we least expect it. And it will lead us to impulsive actions that we can regret. And because of this, many masters keep an even tighter control of their beast in case they do something that they regret. But ironically, this increases the risk that the beast will suddenly come out when they least expect it. But as importantly, although repressing your beast keeps the slave safe, the master often cuts themselves off from what they really need as a top. Instead, a master can befriend their beast to truly listen to its needs and then create rituals and scenes that allow their beast to be fed consensually. Often when you listen to your beast, what comes out can be very strong and at first glance it can be something you cannot do. 
But when I work with clients to go deeper, we often find out why the beast is asking for that. For example, it could be something around total control or consuming and possessing the slave. Once we understand what is needed, we can then create scenes that allow those needs to be met without going into the dark side. In these scenes, it's essential to know that the beast is not in control. Another part of the master remains in control, but the entire scene is created to provide the beast with what it needs without needing that control. This way, the master and beast can get what they need while the slave remains safe. This way, a master can balance his beast and the need for something like heavy control, along with the realization that the slave is still a human that needs to be looked after. We've covered master as a warrior and the attributes of shadow master as a warrior. In a moment, I'm gonna cover an action that you as a master can take. But before I do that, I want to share a story so you can truly understand what it means to be a warrior. And for that story, I wanna talk about the story of Hercules, who's from the ancient Greek legends. Hercules was the son of Zeus, but was born out of wedlock. So Zeus's wife, Hera, was not his mother and Hera hated Hercules because it was the representation of Zeus cheating on her yet again. Due to this hatred, Hera hated Hercules so much that she put a vision on him so he thought his wife and children were monsters and killed them whereas at the time he thought he was protecting his family. And because of the consequences of that action, he was stripped down to nothing. Outcast hated for killing his family. He was no longer a hero. Hercules then went to an oracle to ask for help. And Hera took over the oracle to give Hercules false direction to serve for 10 years, helping other people without question. And these are known as the labors of Hercules. Part of some of the things that happened was he was in slavery for three years, 15 years of bondage, and many other things happened over this time. Then much later on, there was the Gigantomachy, the War of the Giants, where the giants were attacking Mount Olympus itself. And for some reason, any giant that got to Olympus tried to force themselves onto Hera to rape her. Every single time this happened, Hercules saved Hera. So rave after rave of attacks, never for a moment did he think of the pain and suffering she had visited and inflicted upon him throughout his life. Instead, he decided to save her. Her hatred turned to grateful love and her hatred turned to friendship. No more would she visit the monstrous fits or delusions upon him. Hercules could live the rest of his life free from her curse. This is a story of moving from hero to a warrior. From someone that's going through the suffering to someone that really takes power upon themselves and who they are as a person. And from that, doing the right thing. I would like to share two actions that you can take in order to grow your own warrior within you. 
The first one is finding a physical outlet. A way to channel your warrior energy is to find a physical outlet. Often, this is sports. For myself, the gym is an excellent way to channel my warrior energy. When I am ill for an extended period, like I have been this winter, I always feel on edge as I can't give my warrior what it needs. Other people might choose adrenaline in sports, and of course there's also BDSM. As a slave, I find essential and good flogging on all body caning can really help give my warrior what it needs. A master might find this from the other side of that as well as they need to keep excellent technique to do this well. And this is one of the attributes of the warrior I'm going to be covering in the next episode. Another action is to befriend your beast. With a lot of my clients, I often ask them to take some time to sit down and really listen to what their beast wants. A way to do this is to masturbate and have an intense session where you bring out some of your most extreme fantasies. Or perhaps you meditate to listen to that part of you. Use the thing that's really gonna bring up the beast for you and then list down these fantasies and needs. Then with your more objective self, think about what the beast needs on this fantasy. What are the underlying needs? What might come up is something that you know that can never happen. But by looking a little deeper, you can understand the underlying needs and find a way to serve them. Then ask how you can make these needs happen safely. Perhaps it's in an intense scene or ritual, but one that can happen consensually with a slave. It's important to note that any scene that you come up with that allows those beasts needs to be served, the beast should not be in charge. Another aspect of you is in charge, but you are allowing the beast to be fed. If you want to have more actions, go to masterslavelifestyle.com slash light and shadow. And here you can access some articles on the subject, download a free book that has more actions in it, as well as take a free quiz that helps you identify where you're good and where your shadow is. Also think about supporting the podcast and content such as this and the free book by becoming a patron member and getting early access to the podcast episodes. More information is in the show notes. And in the next episode, we're going to cover Slave as a Warrior. Thank you for listening. Bye.